0: Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Jesus said that people would know that we are his disciples by the way we love each other. Listen to what he says in John chapter 13 A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So he made himself the example. In 1 John 3, verse 16, it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we should lay down our lives for our brothers. But here he says, I've given you a new commandment, love each other as I have loved you. And then he says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And my question and challenge to you and to myself is, are we loving like jesus and does the world really see a difference in the way we love each other versus the way other people love each other you know there's a lot of love and a lot of talk about love all around us these days everybody talks about love the movies the songs the books everything talks about love and yet there is supposed to be something different significant and distinctive about our love that makes people realize these are christians and so what I want to do today is look at love, um, first of all, as an overview and compare it to how Jesus was, but then I want to drill down a little bit and start to talk about the difficult questions about how do we deal with disagreements? Do we just react like the rest of the world does, where we say, oh, I'm offended or I'm upset or disappointed and so I'm moving on, or do we work through issues and I'm sure you will see by the end of today that this thing of love not just displays Christ to the world but it actually can change your life if we walk in love as Jesus walked in love it's not just a witness to the world but it will change you and I so 1 Corinthians 13 is the famous love chapter I'm sure you've heard it at weddings it starts off very interestingly talking about if I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love I'm just a resounding clong gong or a clanging symbol and he says love is the distinctive thing he says even if I've got all the gifts of the Spirit and even if I give myself to be burned as a martyr in the flames even if I give all that I possess to the poor if I don't have this love this agape, this word agape that Jesus used. You know, there there are several Greek words for love. There's eros, which talks about sexual attraction. There's phileo, which talks about brotherly love and friendship, and then there's agape, which was a word that was used, but not well used. It was hardly ever used in Greek culture in Jesus' day. And he took this word agape, and he used that word agape to describe the Christian kind of love, the God kind of love, the supernatural love that God shows to us, that Jesus pours into our hearts, but then we show to others. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, I'm gonna quote the, the different aspects of it from the New International Version. He says, love is patient, love is kind. And so as I'm just going through these, I'd like you to imagine Jesus as he was, because he showed us love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. And this is how people will know that you're my disciples. He says, be patient and kind. Jesus was patient. You know, his disciples were slow to learn. There were so many times where he told them something and they just didn't get it. And he had to repeat it. And later on, they made the same blunders and they, they were just human fleshly people. They messed up again and again and again. And Jesus was patient with them. He repeated himself again. He showed them again. He forgave them again. He helped them again. Even the times where we think he might have been rebuking them, I believe he was doing it with patience. When Peter started walking on the water and then started sinking, Jesus reaches out his hand and lifts him up and he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I believe that was with a smile. There was love and patience in everything that he did. Are, Are you and I patient and kind, because kind goes with patience. Kind means I give more than is required. I give extra, I'm generous. I I am over giving and undertaking. That's what kind means. It means when there's a, a doubt, I give people the benefit of the doubt. When I'm not sure how people are Thinking or why they're doing what they're doing rather than jumping to a conclusion that it's a bad thing They're doing or thinking that their motives might be shady or wrong. I'm kind When people ask me for something I give it I give I give I give that's what kind is. love is patient Love is kind it then goes on to say it does not envy it does not boast It is not proud Love doesn't envy or boast or act proudly. In other words, it's not all about themselves. Love says, tell me about yourself. Tell me about you. I'm not envious of your success. I'm not envious that you've done well or that somebody else is getting profiled. I'm not trying to compete and push myself forward. I'm not proud and saying, look at me. I'm looking at you and lifting you up. Can you see how if we acted like this, the world would take notice and say, that's a different kind of love. That's a love that's not all about getting, but it's about giving. Does not envy, does not boast, it is not proud. You know, Jesus was the son of God. He is the son of God. But when he was on earth, he didn't flaunt it. He didn't blow his own trumpet. He didn't put up big publicity signs. He didn't push people and say, you must realize how great I am. He was humble gentle. He said to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me and l- upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus was humble. He didn't boast. He didn't envy. He wasn't proud. Then goes on to say, it is not rude or dishonoring to others. And this I find very interesting. Um, there's a, a little passage in Titus. It's a a book where Paul writes to his protege, his son in the faith, Titus, who's in a a different country in Crete. And he says to him, "Um, don't let people despise you or or ignore you. you. You are there as the church leader. Don't let people treat you badly. And then he goes on to say that people should not speak evil of anyone. There shouldn't be these rude, horrible words coming out of Christians' mouths. You know, even when everyone around us is speaking badly, being rude, dishonoring other people. You know, sometimes we think that just because a person is a public figure, that it's okay for us to rip them to shreds, to criticize them, to, to be rude, to dishonor them. We think, oh, well, they're, they're an actor they're a they're a politician whatever it is we can we can say that or or maybe it's somebody who is in a different circle of friends to us we think it's okay to speak badly of them or someone from a different sports team or whatever it is but titus chapter 3 says speak evil of no one and 1 corinthians 13 says love doesn't dishonor anybody it's not rude. There's a, there's a saltiness. Colossians talks about our, our speech is seasoned with salt, which means it, it's gracious, it's tasty, it's attractive. There's a, a, a restraint to what we say so that we're not rude to others. It goes on to say, it's not self-seeking and it's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Self-seeking means I can pretend to love you, but actually it's for my own purposes, but real love says, I'm seeking what's best for you. Easily angered and keeping no record of wrongs is another thing. If the world could see that we don't get angry easily or quickly, you know, Jesus did get angry, but there were reasons for his anger and it wasn't quick. It, he didn't fly off the handle and he acted correctly with it. Ephesians chapter four says, be angry, but do not sin. So anger is an emotion that God has given us, but the way we express it or what it leads us to do or say is very, very important. And it says that love is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. We're patient, we're forgiving, because God has forgiven us. Jesus has forgiven us, so we pass it on. And then it says two things. I'm gonna switch them around. Now, it says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I love these always phrases. It says that there is a consistency to love, that it always trusts. What that means is, if you say something, I'm going to believe you. That's what love does. It doesn't look for a hidden motive. It doesn't say, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. It says, if you say it, I'm going to take it on face value, and I'm not going to look behind the words for another meaning it also says that um if somebody tells me something about somebody else i would rather trust them and hope the best and that's what the next one is it says always protects always trusts always hopes hope means i look for the best and i hope for the best and i believe the best i choose to believe the best about you I choose when there's some doubt to give you the benefit of the doubt, to assume that your motives are good and that other people's motives are good. And always protects means that I always will try to keep you safe from other people speaking harm. Can you see how if we as believers were acting in this way, like Jesus did with other people, if we were acting like this, people would say there's something different about them. But then I just want to close this passage on 1 Corinthians with the little phrase that says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight with evil or error or deception, but rejoices with the truth. And I want to spend a little bit of time on this because the truth is sometimes separated from love sometimes we think if i love you i'm not going to speak the truth to you and um, it's okay for there to be some deception and 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 some lack of understanding between us Um, I'll, i'll put up with error and and things that aren't quite true just because i love you i'll pretend i'll pretend that things are the case but actually real love rejoices with the truth we try to understand the truth we want to know the truth we we don't want to pretend we don't want to put on a show we don't want to act something differently to what we really are but also we will speak the truth and in the second part of this talk we're going to look at how do we speak the truth in love when there's a disagreement when there's something between us that isn't good where we somehow we've hurt one another. How do we speak the truth? But do it in love, you know truth can be like a knife it can really hurt and wound But if there's love behind that knife, then it can be like a surgery that heals and brings a good result And so we're going to look at how do we speak the truth in love? Ephesians chapter 4 talks about us growing in maturity as believers And it says the sign of us growing in maturity in verse 15 of Ephesians 4 is that we learn to speak the truth in love. And I believe this is a key for us as Christians. This is one of the reasons we are not displaying to the world the love that Jesus spoke about is because we haven't learned to speak the truth in love. We keep things secret. We keep things hidden. We let offenses build up within us. When there is a disagreement, we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to speak to one another and deal with issues correctly. And there's an amazing little passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that I just want to close with before we go into the section about speaking the truth in love. And it says this in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace with all people. Try to have peace and good relationships with all people. Pursue peace. Pursue it. Run after peace with all people. But then it goes on to say, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God The grace is that kindness. You remember in the passage about love, it says love is kind and patient. That's grace. God gives us grace and kindness. It says no one should fall short of the grace of God, which means we don't pass it on to others. We're not not giving people the benefit of the doubt or forgiveness. But then listen, it says, be careful that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble, and by this many become defiled. There is this infectiousness, of an offense. When I hear that somebody else is offended towards somebody else, let's say somebody's crusading for a cause and they say, this is such a bad thing that this other person's doing. If I let that offense get into my heart, the Bible says it's a root of bitterness that grows in my heart and it spreads to other people and many many people get defiled. The answer is to let grace spread to pursue peace with all people And as we're going to see now, to learn to speak the truth in love. The first thing the Bible says in Matthew 18, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And this is one of the things that we try as a church to teach and to practice. We say that we should be able to be honest with each other. You know the great John Wesley he was a great preacher in the 1700s he caused a massive revival of Christianity around the world not just in England and he used to give instructions he had 12 points for all of his preachers who we would send out to do ministry around the world and I want to just read you three of them three of the things that he said he said believe evil of no one if you see it done that's fine but otherwise, take heed how you credit it. Put the best construction on everything. Remember, the judge is always supposed to be on the prisoner's side. So he said, believe evil of no one. If somebody tells you that something bad has been done by someone, he said, don't believe it. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Put the best light that you can on it. The second thing he said was, speak evil of no one. Believe evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. He said, um, Don't let your words become like a canker or a sore keep your thoughts within your own head Until you come to the person concerned he said speak evil of no one never say anything bad about anyone else And then thirdly he said tell everyone what you think about him and tell him plainly and as soon as possible otherwise it will fester in your heart make all haste therefore to cast the fire of your bosom. Believe evil of no one, speak evil of no one, but tell people plainly if you have something against them. And this is what Matthew 18 says. It says, if your brother sins against you, go to him alone, just him. Don't speak to somebody else about it. Don't let it fester. Don't worry about it. Don't put a a weird assumption that you think you know why they did it. Go and speak to them. Listen to what they say. Speak the truth. In love, the Bible says. And so we believe that it's important to be humble and to go and speak in, a, in an honest way with one another. And then there is another aspect of this that I just want to bring out. You might say, why are you talking so much about this? Because we believe that relationships are what make a church strong, but also broken relationships can destroy a church. We could have the best uh, preaching, we could have the best worship, but if our relationships break, then the whole church is vulnerable and God says many places in the Bible make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit, just be of the li- of like mind, and so we want to have that that like mindedness in our church, and the way we 're going to do it is by relationships. Just stay with me where I go through a few verses from proverbs twenty six Proverbs is an old Testament book. And it's just so full of wisdom. Solomon wrote all the wisdom that he learned through all his years. He was called the wisest man alive. When he was alive and he wrote some verses about relationships, but especially about speaking that I think you will find so helpful. The first thing is Proverbs 26 verse 17. I'm just going to read the few verses. He starts with verse 17. He says, he who passes by and meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a dog by the ears. (laughs) He says, if you pass by and you hear somebody having a quarrel with somebody else. He says, if you get involved, it's like taking a dog by its ears. You know, when I was very small, we had a dog and the next door neighbor's dog would come and eat from our dog's food bowl every single day. And every single day there was a fight between these two dogs where our dog would try to fight and and send away the, the next-door neighbor's dog who was trying to steal his food and my mom and the rest of our family didn't quite know how to handle this we would shout at them we even tried throwing water on them but we couldn't stop them fighting and the one day my mom grabbed the dog's ears our dog's ears and both dogs bit her. i want to say to you that if you hear of a quarrel with somebody else you are asking for trouble if you a, listen to the quarrel. B, get involved in the quarrel. If you try and somehow take a side or, or try and work out who's right and who's wrong or say, I'm going to stand up for this person or I'm going to get involved, the Bible says don't get involved in someone else's quarrel because you don't know all the facts. You aren't involved. You know, as a pastor, I've counseled many married couples and I've had one person from the couple come to me and tell me how bad the other person is. And if I were to believe them, I would build up an anger and an animosity to the other person. But I've learned to say, I need to hear both sides of the story if you're asking for my advice. I'm a pastor, so I'm asked to help their their disputes. But I want to say for most of us, we are not supposed to get involved. Please don't get involved in somebody else's quarrel. He then goes on in the next verse to say, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows... And death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. What's he saying here? He's saying that we think our words are small things. We can say something bad about a person, about a leader, about a government minister, about another preacher, about another Christian, about our boss, about our brother or our sister. We can say our words and we can say, it's just air coming out of my mouth. I'm only joking. It's not serious. But the Bible says that our words are extremely powerful. He says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death. It's like somebody going into a crowded marketplace and starting to throw hand grenades around. When we start saying things about other people, our words are powerful. Jesus said that we will give an account on judgment day for every idle word that we have spoken. James chapter 3 says that our tongue is like a rudder that can guide a ship, not just our own lives, but other people are guided by our words. And Proverbs 18 says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Wow. A little bit serious, but I pray that this shows you how important words are in our relationships. He goes on then in verse 20. Where there is no wood, a fire goes out. Where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. I want to tell you that you have the power when you come across a contention or an argument or a dispute or, a, or a, uh, an offense that has happened between two people or maybe a group of people. You have the power to either cause that fire to get bigger and stronger or you can put it out. He says that uh, where there is no tail bearer, strife ceases. A contentious man Kindle a fire if we are contentious or we are a talebearer, in other words If we want to get in there if we want to give our opinion if we want to tell somebody else about the fight So that they can get involved we are being like fuel to the fire or we can withdraw that we can say I'm not gonna get involved. I'm not gonna judge I'm gonna think the best and that fire will die down and then he goes on to tell us why this problem exists in verse 22 he says the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the inmost body we have a, a wickedness in our hearts where we love gossip we love to hear the intrigue and the latest story plus it makes us feel important if we can give an opinion about somebody else you know, if I go to so-and-so, my brother, and I say, have you heard about what Jack did to, to Joe? And Jack did this and Jack did that. And suddenly I feel like I'm important. I'm more important than Jack and Joe because I'm pronouncing judgment. And th- the friend that I'm talking to, those, those words that I'm saying are going down into his heart and it's stirring up an unhealthy And an ungodly reaction, it's like trifles going down, tasty trifles. Oh, they're right in my inmost being, I love them. But the problem, he goes on to say, fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. When he speaks kindly, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. He who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. He says we need to be wise. We need to take the blinkers off and realize when I hear somebody gossiping, speaking about another contentious argument, speaking about another person, actually... It's hiding deceit. It's like an earthen jar that looks nice because it's covered in silver paint. But actually, he says, it will be revealed. And whatever we do to others, it'll roll back and fall on us. When you're in that environment, you may feel like the important one because you're sharing or listening to gossip. But eventually, you'll be the victim of it. And it is painful when somebody gossips about you psalm 133 says behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity it is like the oil of god poured down on the priest's head and it runs down on his beard on his robes all the way to the hem of his garment it is like the blessing of god it's like all the jew of mount hermon which is a big mountain was forward onto little Mount Zion and then it says for there the Lord commands a blessing even life forevermore when we dwell together with love with unity with honesty where we're able to talk honestly where we trust and we don't backbite. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.